everyone. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink. And this is Mental Health Goes to School, where a teacher and a psychiatrist walk into a podcast. You hear a lot about teen mental health and how students struggle at school. But accurate and useful information is hard to find. Over the years, Candida and I have had many conversations and learned from each other's experiences. We realize that we need more people in such a critical conversation. Join us as we talk to and learn from educators, mental health professionals, and parents with a wide range of experiences and expertise. first, right? I'm so honored to, to be the first guest. I couldn't think of a better person, you know, because oh. you're right at, right at that nexus, you know, in, in how. So why don't, I guess, just start on, tell us you know, a little bit about, you know, you, what you do. and Okay. So uh, my name is Dawn Cattucci. I am a school psychologist at Artsley High School, a school district in Westchester County, New York. And I'm also a, uh, I have a small group private practice. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I am on the board for the New York Association of School Psychologists. I'm a local chapter rep and I'm a C- certified CBT therapist, uh, Diplomats of the Academy of Cognitive Therapy. And uh, I've, got, I've been lucky enough to get really extensive training in CBT and DBT. And I have a special interest of uh, trying to utilize these evidence-based practices in a school setting. Right. You really emphasize that. <laughs> I've driven everybody, any person I could talk to <laughs> to have them try and consider doing this in their school. I have annoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. And uh, just to mention, Joanne, I don't know if you want to let Dawn know what you do, what your role is. You know. Sure. Um, so I teach in a therapeutic day school here in Massachusetts. Students come to us referred by their districts Um, Because any program they have in district or um, regular school is not working for them. They have anxiety, depression. Some have serious mental illnesses. Many are on the autism spectrum. A lot of um, uh, gender identity issues um, and that sort of thing. And they may have learning disabilities as well. So we um, have 70-ish kids, 65, 70 kids. I teach 11th and 12th grade English um, disguised, or I should say I teach executive function disguised as 11th and 12th grade English. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. And you know what I do. <laughs> and for our listeners to say, I'm a child psychiatrist, child novelist and psychiatrist. I've been in Westchester County for a long time, 25 years or more, um, have a private practice here and have done a lot of school consultation. Um, I really have a big interest in that sort of that interface and how, how mental health is. So, you know, the child, kids, mental health is such it happens at school <laughs> and it is the place we can meet. It's a, it's where we meet our kids. And so I think we've been talking about this sort of the three layers of the, like the preventive and universal and then mm-hmm. at risk kids. And then, you know, mm-hmm. treatment like where Joanna or identified kids. And I think what you did, Dawn, or at least as you're going to tell us, that was really sort of cover, 
you know, or trying to approach all three of those levels. But before we get started, I think we need a little bit of definition about CBT, DBT sort of headlines, because um, that's not something yeah. a lot of people know what that is, right? So um, cognitive people therapy uh, and dialectical behavior therapy are uh, skill-based, evidence-based counseling practices. There's a lot of research on them for many, many years. And uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has uh, been utilized with kids and school-aged kids for a long time, but not usually in a school setting. With uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, generally kids can actually get better, especially kids, because they don't have their um, patterns in place for so long. If they come in with uh, anxiety, which is the most common thing we see, uh, and they're willing to do the work uh, with cognitive behavioral therapy, they can learn skills, learn uh, about their thinking patterns, uh, approach things that scare them but aren't hurtful to them on purpose. It's called exposures and use some coping strategies. And they can get better in like 12 to 16, 18 weeks. Uh, it's a short-term treatment. It's beautiful. Yep. And uh, for DBT, uh, more recently, it's been used with uh, lots of different populations, including adolescents. Uh, DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. Uh, it used to be used primarily in hospitals for borderline personality disorder. Uh, there's been many studies and lots of work done in various areas to show that it's, a, it's effective for uh, a lot of things, including multi-problematic teens, kids that have a lot of different things going on at once. It's useful as a universal protocol um, and it is skill-based. So it, these, these treatments fit very nicely into a school setting. Um, they were not always used in a school setting though. DBT is basically the skills primarily help with emotion regulation, which affects pretty much everything we do. And the primary goal for DBT is to help people to build the life they want a life worth right. living the life that create the life they want and even for little kids you know to get to their goals um so that's pretty much what dbt is i think that's a, a really a great summary of sort of as i understand it and i i use that phrase all the time in therapy whether or not i'm specifically referring to dbt skills but you know building the mm -hmm. life building your life worth living the life you want mm -hmm. to live mm -hmm. and i have said since i first learned about dbt however many good billion years ago when i was first exposed to it i thought it needed to be in schools as a universal like I, like we need emotion ed just like we have phys ed which i think you've been trying to bring some of that um and i think at your school too joanne right there's really this emphasis on some skills for everyone right right, right. well and it's about helping students be able to meet their goals you know if what whatever they may be when you're a teenager you know they might be short term they might be long term but you know, if you if you want to go to college, here are some things. But if you don't want to go to college, maybe there are some other things. Um, but still, the emotional regulation is so important. So when you're working with, so do you work with all ages of students or are you? So I'm a high school psychologist, but in our district, uh, all three buildings, so elementary, middle and high, eventually all uh, got trained and uh, in both cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. So it is at all levels. And we also are able to do it universally, like pushing into the classrooms with DBT Steps A. Um, and we are a team. So it's it's not while I may be the chatty one <laughs> with my colleagues in other districts, and we all are, um, we're, we're a DBT team. 
Great. Um, and, and I think that's important for people to understand too, that, you know, you can't just like these, this half an hour a week, you're going to work on this in yeah. isolation, that it needs to be across, yeah. um, across the day over the course of the week, you know, as, as you say, building the skill. Um, so how is it identified, you know, when somebody needs some more help or work on building these skills? How, how do teachers notice this? Oh. Well, initially, like back in 2008 is when we started getting trained in DBT. And initially, um, it was like the frequent flyers, the kids that were, you know, often in our office, often upset, very dysregulated, maybe kids that were getting in trouble and maybe kids that um, just needed that extra support. Right. So we kind of focused on that in every single school district as this. You know, it, this is oh, universal across course, the country right, and I'm guessing across the world. Of course, absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah, we started just focusing on kids that had multiple problems going on, like difficulty with um, attention and focus and maybe acting impulsively, difficulty with staying focused on just one thing. Our kids all are multitasking, difficulty um, with interpersonal problems, keeping their relationships and, um, and difficulty in um, being able to think for themselves, multifamily problems, all of that kind of stuff. So if they had three areas of concern. So that was the those, cutting three areas. Yeah. Three. And this is a DB. These are like uh, the adolescent DBT principles that we use. If they have three areas of concern. Then we would consider them for at that time when we first started, it was comprehensive DBT in a high school. And that is for more high risk people. Um, certainly it addresses kids that could be suicidal or self-harming or just like super emotionally dysregulated. And um, when we first started, we were sort of piloting this program that, you know, we had come about what my colleague, Pam, Dr. Pam Mason, found out that another psychologist in our community, Dr. Alec Miller, was doing these treatments with kids. We were like, what? DBT <laughs> could be used out of a hospital? So we both went to like two different trainings and we came back to our team and um, we went to our school district and we did this whole thing to get it going um, in just first the one school. But at first it was for multi-problematic teens and it, we still do use that now. However, in our district, anybody can come. Friends can invite their friends in at the high school oh, I level. I didn't know at that. the high school level, they could be designated, not designated, five hundred four CSE or not. And no one can drag them in. So, an RDBT program in the high school, we were the first team to do this in a school, and we were trained with fidelity um, by cognitive consultants. So, we <laughs> kind of still stick to that. That um, the kids have to have a lot of commitment to coming. So we work on commitment strategies with the kids. We don't allow, like our, our team does not, we don't have people get forced in because it doesn't work. Uh, if they want, if they don't want yeah. DBT and they, they have a mandate, they could do a different, you know, treatment as usual in school, social skills group or something like that. But for our DBT kids, the, the primary way to come in is to having a big commitment to showing up and that participating. That they want to be Throughout there. the year. Yes. Got it. Mm -hmm. And is it, do they commit to the, to like the full school year or do you they do? They we do. So we do commitment strategies from like September to October. And then we actually start even the year before with kids. We have only certain entry points with DBT during the mindfulness module. 
And, um, and then they stay with us all the way through like the middle of May when the seniors start leaving. That's where we start winding down. And the kids that have gone through DBT at the high school, generally, almost, I would say like 99% of them voluntarily come back in, in the following years, however many years they're in high school. So whatever grade they're in, they usually stay and they stay as senior group members. And they help us like co-lead the groups and teach the, sk- the skills to kids, which That's is nice. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Our school, our skill groups are like not that great if we don't have a senior group member. A senior group Adults member. talking That's... to kids, you know, only is not, not going to go far. Nice. Okay. Nice. Um, so basically that's almost the whole school year of doing that. So that probably works better because it's like, okay, it's time to go to this group. And yeah. And kids, as I said, come back again, it reinforces and strengthens the skills for the kids that come back again as the senior group members. And then my colleagues, um, Tara Wright, who's a school counselor and uh, Monique Johnson, who is a social worker, they implement DBT steps a, which we also piloted that around the same time. And that is a universal DBT program, social emotional curriculum. So like SEL, sort of. Teachers, SEL, that teachers can actually implement in the classroom. Uh, My colleagues, uh, you know, they go in and they push into the ninth grade. So in our district, every ninth grader has access or has some understanding of some of the basic DBT skills of mindfulness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, interpersonal skills. And And the middle path. And those are the, well, I guess five. There's five, yeah. There's really five five pillars in adolescent DBT. Do you, do you mind just going over this just sure. a little more? So um, there's five modules, we'll say, and they are pillars. DBT balances acceptance and change. Uh, and so this is a delicate balance. It's a, it's a little different than other treatments. There's a lot of validation and stuff like that that we do. Um, the first module that we do is mindfulness. It's the core of DBT. So every other skill, every other module is going to come back to mindfulness, and that's an entry point. And mindfulness is where uh, we help kids to the opposite of multitasking, which we all need that. Uh, and they um, so they become more focused. They catch themselves when they are out there and hearing the teacher go wah, 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 and they bring themselves back sooner. And it also has a whole part about uh, taking a non-judgmental stance right. about themselves and others and catching that and checking in with themselves more. And then the second module that we teach is uh, distress tolerance. And that is how to get through a crisis without making things worse. That's a big one wow. for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right, like you see that all I the time, Joanne, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we teach uh, emotion regulation skills. That's how to bring our emotions down uh, when things are really intense so that we can make better decisions. And it helps kids to learn how to ride the wave of an emotion, that they, emotions do not last forever. This terrible emotion will pass. Right. And we can put certain things in place so that we don't act impulsively or do anything hurtful. Um, the, then we go into interpersonal effectiveness skills, and that is how we teach kids how to effectively communicate with the people around them and keep relationships steady, how they can ask for what they want without giving up their dignity or self-respect. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful module. The kids love it because then they're they like, do. oh, I can ask my parent, you know, to stay out a little later and the parents don't know what hits them, but they become very effective in doing that, which is beautiful. And then there's the walking the middle path module. That's a really big one for families too. teaches uh, 
parents and kids about validation skills, about um, behavioral principles, and about what's typical and not typical in a school setting. Right. Expectations. We were just, when we've been sort of chatting about this, Joanne and I, a lot, that the, the word validation, I don't know, came up a dozen times, at least as you went through each, you know, all of the modules validation is such a, as, you know, provi- you know, a teacher or a clinician and working with kids, it's central, right? Like it's central. So... It calms things down so fast. It changes everything. Agree. Right. It doesn't mean you agree. You might not agree. It just means that you're understanding where the person's coming from. So who in the world ever calms down when somebody comes into a big event and says, calm down? No, it does not no, work. Not at all. That has never hey, worked in I the history of really in the history upset. of things. It has never no. worked ever. Right. But if you can just say, oh, I see you're really, really upset, or I see this was really important to you. I'm sorry this happened. Then emotions come down and then there can be a better conversation about that changes everything. And it's really right. powerful when, when families can learn that too, which, you know, is not as, not as accessible in a school program, yeah. but still mm-hmm. the kids learn it <laughs> and they bring it home to parents, you know? Yeah. Um, Our social worker tries to implement, tries to add in um, family units that she's now been doing zoom meetings. So Monique Johnson has been doing zoom meetings for our parents uh, teaching them about mindfulness and teaching ah. them about some of the skills, even if their kids aren't in DBT, it's like open to whoever wants to. Oh, that's so lovely. lovely. Yeah, yeah that, lovely. I'm sure that's uh, very helpful. So, so that kind of um, between the Zoom and the families and stuff, one of the questions that I was um, wondering about is, you know, we're hearing so much about learning loss and all this stuff mm-hmm. around the pandemic and whatnot, which you know, Kenita and I have talked about being behind is not really a thing, right. but, um, but are you seeing differences in how students are presenting or how they're um, experiencing, you know, anxiety and, and stress and stuff now compared to a few years ago? And how does that change what you might do? Yeah. And I think you guys will, will agree with this as well, both in my private practice and in my schoolwork with kids because I work with younger kids in my practice, um, they lost time of socialization and they went through a really isolating time as we all did. And they don't have that bigger repertoire of life. So we just see a little bit more um, immaturity, I guess, for some kids, not for everybody, but for some kids, I think kids that are emotionally vulnerable or highly sensitive, we may see that more if they've already had mental health issues beginning you know before all of this certainly it exasperated all of that sometimes to even a dangerous level uh you know we saw increases uh, overall as a country in suicide uh for young people as like second leading cause of death in 2020 for kids 10 to 14 years old and uh third leading cause of death for wow. the older kids and that's serious so we have really seen a lot but i think um Things now seem, now that we're back and we're in person, uh, things seem to be simmering down. But I know that teachers and my colleagues in other districts will tell me that, and I see it, that we see kids having a much harder time focusing. They are sitting in a classroom and learning and focusing is one of the primary things that I hear just, you know, in the trenches. So much more than, I mean, cause all always, but it seems to be like 
a, a real cohort effect, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you see that too, Joanne? Oh, um, I'd, I'd agree with that, yes. And um, I think people, as much as multitasking has been a thing for quite a while, I think maybe partly because of the Zoom, and I'm guilty of this as well, if I've been on Zoom meetings and it gets boring, will I look at my phone? Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> or will I be doing something, you know, doing something else, some kind of like, paperwork thing or whatever, um, semi paying attention to both. And and I am definitely seeing this. And of course, the phone is a big battle at school. Um, it's not as easy to just ban it out as you might think, especially with our population. But but if I say, could you, could you put your phone away? Oh, I'm listening. <laughs> and when I ask you in 10 minutes or you asked me what I just said 10 minutes from now, I'm not going to be. I don't mind clarifying instructions, but when you clearly were not paying attention and then 10 minutes later you asked me, I, I'm less interested. Less interested. <laughs> yeah, so it's really frustrating as a teacher, right? Because it is it is very different. And I'm guessing, yeah, it must be a universal yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is. But I think I think people have just a little bit gotten into the habit of, of yeah. having mul- more multiple things going and thinking, especially if you're a teen and like you said, you don't have that rep- wider repertoire of skills and understanding. Like I know I'm checking out when I <laughs> right. do this, right. but but they don't always. They think that they can keep up with multiple things, and it we know usually, it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and mostly, sure. you know, it corrects itself over time, but at least enough. But are there other besides the focus? Um, Less maturity, definitely. We're seeing that um, because they, they, yeah, a lot of kids, especially the ones that are in about ninth and tenth grade, miss that whole middle school period of middle school stuff. You know, <laughs> the, the social learning and stuff that happens at that age. Um, but another thing I was I was kind of interested in is are the things that schools and teachers are concerned about the same or different than the things that families and parents are concerned about? I think, I think yes and no, <laughs> being dialectical. Sorry. No, 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 no that's perfect. It, it turns it's out yes it's no. how everything is. <laughs> it turns out. I think it's a yes and a no because there's always this big push. You know, every parent wants their child to be academically successful and to create the life they want and to right. go to a great school and all this pressure. Um, and kids want to be in sports. They want to do all these things. So there is, you know, overall, you know, especially in our area, I think where we live too, uh, in Westchester County, um, a lot of pre- a pressure. And sometimes it doesn't come from the families. It comes from the, the kids. Either, you know, they want to try and, and do and, and, you know, do better or they want to try and live up to expectations and they want to build their life. So there is all of that. Um, and at the same time, <laughs> um, I think that the social emotional piece is also a universal piece. And teachers, of course, want kids to be successful. If the kid fails, the teacher feels like they failed. Right. right, right, we, right. we know that. And um, so I think it takes a strain on the teachers when kids aren't doing as well as we would expect them to, because they may have gaps in learning. They may have social, emotional issues going on for them. And uh, but I do think that mental health overall has taken a forefront, as we all know. Um, 
just because if that we realize as a, as a culture that if we're that mental health is health and that in schools uh, we have the kids there right. and we're able to be able to do cert- help them in certain ways when we can uh, through counseling and through support and through school counselors and school psychologists and you know all of that there's not enough boots on the ground yeah. we don't have enough Right. Like the ratio for school uh-huh. psychologists is in many places horrifying and low. Uh, in rural places in New York, there's like one person for many schools. There is no time or chance to be able to do the health, mental health piece that they need. And and they're the only ones. There might not even be a psychiatrist right. for miles. That's right. So and That's that right. and across the state, I mean across the country, we see that too. We see long wait lists and all of that. So we need uh-huh. uh, you know, more people within the community as well. It can't just be schools, but I think schools levels the playing fields. It's equitable. And that's part of why when we implemented this, it these these treatments are very expensive privately. They're hard to get. There's long wait lists. If the school is doing it, it levels the playing field. And right. I think universally so families and so teachers huge. can all agree on the importance of having someone emotionally regulated. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who wants to, I mean, it's hard for the people around whoever is having the trouble and it's hard for them yeah. as for the well. person. Yeah. We're only I, as happy as our least happy kid. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. Whether we're in a, as a school person or as, as a, a parent, absolutely. that is a hundred percent true. We all have grown kids. So we've all mm-hmm. been there, done that. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, just tying into that and um, what's, what's your sense of sort of t- frontline teachers, gen ed teachers in particular, who I love and do, God's work every day. I, I make, you know, um, and we place incredible demands on our teachers, right? Like all the time. Mm-hmm. In terms of buy-in on the mental health front, something like universal skills training for teachers and awareness, I, I just think in part because they're so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And Joanne, you may even, you know, see this in your setting too, that it can be hard. Buy-in can, it, it's just, it's a, it's a big skills gap, right? There's just a huge, cause that's not, been part of the training. So it's a knowledge, it's a knowledge gap and a skills gap. And I think sometimes, you know, just like there would be with trying to teach someone anything, there's kind of some resistance in some, from some folks. So in our district, we were so lucky, our administration, I mean, we're going way back. So right now this looks very relevant, but back in 2008, it was like, what, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Um, uh, Several years ago, one of our building administrators really made it a goal to have the DBT skills that we do with kids uh, taught to our teachers. So cognitive behavioral consultants in Westchester sent over an advanced trainer and during like superintendent conference days and whenever we could squeeze it in, uh, we taught them mindfulness skills that they themselves can use and validation skills. And we really kind of focused on that. And then years later, other new administration and things like that, we brought them back again, we have new staff. Uh, last year, we I think it was last year, uh, we did another similar training because we have a lot of turnover in schools for the reasons that you said, Candida. And um, so I think just universally, when people are talking the same talk, it's more of a system thing. Right. It's very helpful. Uh, and then when the kids are at least getting steps A, however that might be, whether it's a, a school psychologist or a school counselor, a school social worker, or a teacher is teaching it, however that looks for the district. Um, when that happens, 
then when there is a problem, whether it's a principal sitting down with someone who is having a behavior problem and they're validating them and they're using the skills that way, or whether it's a psychologist that now the kid is in the office hysterically crying for something and you and they we can speak the same language. You know, right. how, let's put some ice on your face. Let's find some coping <laughs> strategies here. I'm sorry you're having such a bad time. We do brief skills coaching in schools. Um, I think that that makes a world of difference. And you're right. When you put something on, you got to take something off. So, yes, uh, even for a school psychologists, for us to be able to implement these things, we built a really big uh, internship program for school psychologists because you have to do a full year internship to be a school psychologist and we're close enough to New York City. So we're, we have like extra people that are there at least helping us. Right. Um, we're working together on assessments, so we have more time to be able to devote to the mental health uh, piece. But something does have to give. You're right. Right. It's just a lot to ask. Right. You were talking about doing right. more training in another, another system, not particularly DBT, Joanne, but talking about sort of refreshing training, mm -hmm. right? That right. that idea right. of refreshing is so important. <laughs> right, because sometimes, especially if... Um, you have, well, in, a, in our size of school, a, a, a cohort of, you know, four or five kids who are really struggling can throw people off the path because it's very frustrating for everyone, for the, for the kids and the adults working with them to try to figure out how to help them not be this way. Which is it takes up a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah, it's disruptive for a lot of people. And, and of course, our philosophy also is um, students do well when they can. And so clearly they can't. And so how can we help them move from can't to can? And and the same as with, um, you know, doing your uh, program for the entire school year. I mean, we're doing it every day, all day. But then some days, you know, you come in and it's like, I don't even care, kid. Just stop. <laughs> you know, I mean, we it's try hard, not. I know we try not to get there, but um, sometimes that does happen. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's helpful for an entire staff to be able to have a common training just to get all on the same page and then refreshers periodically. Right. And support yeah, and, and, gra and grace for them, too, as we give validation exactly. to them, uh, to the, the adults, as well as to the kids. Right, right. Yeah, but validation. So that wasn't natural to me, validation, when I started doing this. I mean, somewhat as a parent and a person. But, yeah, we really do focus on that because, you know, as we know, feelings are very big when you're a teenager and... Um, situations yeah. get out of here you just don't have the experience and so it's like yeah that is very hard for you so let's you know take a moment anything you know that comes to mind for you dawn that as we're kind of going through this that you feel like we should be talking about here about i mean the work you're doing is so i, I it's just so important i mean it's so valuable and it's still very much isolated i think i mean the idea of sort of expanding i mean it's, it's expensive it's time consuming it's mm -hmm. definitely a, a shift in how we think but what's your sense of i think that um i think that it's grown tremendously celebrities like lady gaga and oprah winfrey and brandon yes. marshall who talk openly about dbt skills in their life certainly helps um and i think that um now we have over 100 schools in our area so it's our mm -hmm. little area right. uh 
in Westchester County, New York, and surrounding areas that CBC uh, has trained, and uh, the Mazas in DBT Steps A have trained, I think things have changed in that now training's easier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's virtual. Anybody can get it. It's right. more affordable now. Yeah. Districts can do a four-day training and then have uh, like advanced supervision uh, to help them to implement. And that now it can go through BOCES and other ways where it's a consortium that can share resources. So I think that it has really evolved in a great way. Mm-hmm. DBT Steps A is skills only and mm-hmm. it's universal. And the training that the Mazas do, they have multiple levels of it. And, you, and it's mostly virtual. It's mostly virtual. And it's for teachers. It's for administrators. They have different levels of it. And I think that that is a way, even if you start with a very small team, we started with four of us. Right. There were four of us that started. Uh, uh, Monique Johnson, myself, Pamela Mason, and Victoria Lusk. And now, you know, Michelle Belmont has joined other psychologists, other school counselors, Eric Hemlick. It grows. And then within each district, which in each building has grown and other districts have done the same. You just start out with a cheerleader. Right. Or two, <laughs> that's or a great three. way to put it. Yeah. You need one. Yeah, and then, that's a, and then yeah, you so just true. start learning. Like, so I just started, like, I would want people to know how could they get started? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got started really just by going to an introductory DBT training and our minds being blown when we saw what the skills were like, oh my gosh, this should be in a school. Why is it only in hospitals? And then we read the, the book. Like we read, there's a book, uh, Dialectal Behavior Therapy for Suicidal Adolescents. It's very dense. We read that book. And then as a team, we came together uh, once talking to colleagues and stuff like that and momentum grows and you get tired and you, you're like, ah, oh, is it really worth all this? It's so hard. But in the long run, I think instead of having so many crises, Uh, instead of putting out the fires, uh, this is what Alec Miller would say, instead of putting out the fires, we're preventing the fires. And I think that's really important. Huge. Um, And CBT as well. uh, We've gotten trained, when I got trained there, there was, I had to go down to the American Institute of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. That's right. I had to go to Beck. There was no virtual training. And now it's it's virtual. So uh, Dr. Lada McGinn at CBCW does a big intensive over the summer. That's like five days, best CBT training I ever had. And I was already doing it for 10 years. Uh, That's virtual now. You know, the Beck Institute offers it. There's lots of like low cost training, low cost CEs, has a lot of evidence-based practices. So there's ways to get trained, uh, like at least an introductory training. You don't want to start implementing and not have the proper training because you can actually do more harm than good. People think they did CBT, but they actually never did any exposures for anxiety, for instance, that they did do CBT. Uh, Or they may do some DBT and not really do it with fidelity, and then they never want to do it again. And there could be a crisis in their life, and now they'll refuse it. And it could be like life-saving if if they did If it's not done the right way. Yeah, so if people are going to implement, don't just pick up a book and try and do it. It's not enough. You need proper training and maybe some supervision. Yeah. And a team and you need a co- the one team. cheerleader, but it's better if you have a couple together so that you're learning together and, yeah. you know, and sort of supporting each other because it does, it's a lot of work and it is frustrating. I think I'm sure it's yeah. And for comprehensive DBT, we do weekly team meetings so we don't burn out. Right. And so that as a consultation team, so that we don't burn out and the same in my practice. And so that we make sure that we're sticking with the treatment and that we're not missing anything that right. we're taking the best care 
of our kids as we can and and really working on the kids that may be, you know, slipping behind or having more trouble. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's great. I think that's right, Joanne. That's really yeah, and, important and, stuff. How to how, where to even begin yeah. to start and training is key. Right. Mm. And I think the point of preventing fires rather than spending your time putting them out. But it does just like building anything. It takes uh, a, some upfront work, um, which does pay off. I mean, if you just think about anything that you try to do in your life that <laughs> takes some effort, um, putting in the upfront work and learning pays off over time. And, and we know the cost of school districts. If you send one student out and it's $50,000 a year, it's more than that generally, I'm guessing. Yeah. And you times that in high school by four years, that's, that's $200,000. Right. Uh, right. TBT doesn't cost $200,000. Exactly. Right. right. No, that's, and that's the pitch you have to make to a district is that it's going to save them money. Right. But it right. will. Kids get to stay in their home schools and regulate right. and all, you know, see, right. you know, it changes them. It changes their trajectory. And that's the thing that I think is the most important. It changes their course in many times, not for everybody. Some kids may drop out. They may not do it. They may not commit, but for the kids that really are it could change their life to create the life that they really want. Right. Right. And, you know, ultimately some kids do end up in schools like, you know, where you right. teach. Well, it's not going to solve I mean, every problem. Certainly. Right, exactly. But, but to give um, the general population this type of skill set, I think would be just like you said, phys ed, emotional ed. It's <laughs> right. like, you know, stuff happens throughout your life. What better thing than to have some skills? Right. When you're having all those big old emotions in adolescence, yeah. you know, learning ba to balancing your checkbook, balancing your emotions. <laughs> That's right. I might need thing. more skills in the balancing. <laughs> I let my husband do that. I know. We, well, but see, that point is as adults, we know what we're better at and what we're, you know, things we can delegate or, you know, share because they're not our best skills. As kids, you know, they don't know. don't know. And also I was saying this to Joanne the other day, you know, when we send, there's some of the stress, we send school, kids to school every day. We accept them to be a hundred percent present, a hundred percent attending, functioning peak in seven different subjects all day. We give them 20 minutes for lunch. They're socially supposed to be getting it. Like, and these are some kids don't even get lunch. They work right through lunch. They take right. more classes. I know exactly. Yeah. And so, and that's I encouraged that. and that's encouraged. And so this idea that as adults, we've learned, you know, that we have to over, over time, we gradually, we have to pace ourselves. We have to do, do some things and not do it. We don't give that grace to our kids. At least traditionally, the expectations are very, you know, multiple <laughs> full on 10 out of 10 every day and who's there and it, you can't be. So the idea yeah. of helping everyone under become emotionally emotional skills literate, at least beginning that conversation about emotions and emotional energy, <laughs> cognitive concepts like that, that, you know, I think is so at that, at that universal level. And then of course, at every level that we provide care, the high risk, the risk kids, the identified kids, I think it's, I don't know, it's really, really powerful stuff, but putting it into the water somehow <laughs> in schools, right. yeah. I think the culture, um, yeah, the culture in general, yeah. and certainly well, in the educational world, I think is a big part, you know, I just central to kind of the thing we're talking about in this podcast, which is how we can be thinking about mental health in school. Right. Right. So. so. All right. 
Um, so I think we'll probably want to, you know, we're, we're still working on this, but we're going to do some show notes and we'll, we'll put some links to some of the books and places that you, uh, mentioned, if that's okay for training. Yeah. And if you like can, that. I've thought of another one. Um, and I don't think this is necessarily great for schools. Cause I think they should do, work with people that are used to implementing in schools, like the ones I mentioned, but for people, let's say in private practice that want to work with adolescents or adults and, and get knowledge of DBT psychwire has online courses that are like magnificent top really? trainers and dbt training yeah Psych-wire. alec miller and jill rathis who wrote the adolescent treatment and manual uh they do they have a training there a, a basic one a begin a, a beginning training there and then for adults there's advanced training and foundations that are excellent that i've taken myself they're so good okay oh that's fabulous right. so this right. you know we're hoping this sort of conversation will include clinicians mm-hmm. as well as, you know, um, educators and parents. Um, and I think for a lot of clinicians out in private practice, there's not a lot of specific education about the interface with school or, or, or in, you know, like, yes, people sort of have to talk to the teacher sometimes, but that comprehensive sense of how working in the school, how you can help our patients' mental health, mm-hmm. identifying and managing and supporting them at school is such a key part of their whole treatment plan. It's part of the treatment yes. plan. It's not separate, right? So it's sort of helping them understand and getting more training in something like DBT. I didn't know about those resources, so we'll be sure to post those as well. Right. Thank you so yes. much, Dawn. Thank this you. was, I this think... Is- I was so honored to be your first guest. Oh, I was going to say thanks. Thanks for being willing to be the initial. <laughs> initial pig. My pig. pleasure. Pig. Yeah. <laughs> we really, really appreciate I hope it. It turned out well. <laughs> Thank you so much. All Have right. a great weekend. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye Don. listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like and follow.